Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Hi, my name is Nikki Pasaliga, and I will be your host for today's episode of The Navigators. The Navigators are a group of subject matter experts that represent various organizations within the healthcare system whose goals are to increase immunization access by equity, strengthening the partnership between pharmacy and public health. The Navigators are a group of volunteer subject matter experts across the continuum of health, including pharmacies, state immunization programs, national membership organizations, and much, much more. Today, we'll be chatting with Jason Briscoe, Director of Pharmacy Operations of Discount Drug Mart, and Dave McCormick, Division Director for the Indiana Department of Health's Immunization Division. Welcome. So we're going to be exploring their experiences, lessons learned when it comes to vaccine rollout and implementation, and how public health and pharmacy can partner to improve public health. Thanks so much for joining us today. I was wondering if you guys could take a brief moment and introduce yourselves and your current roles in practice. Jason, why don't you kick us off? Yeah, thanks for having me today, Vicki. It's a pleasure to be with you and Dave. Had an opportunity to work with you guys in a couple of different environments in the past and looking forward to our conversation today. But again, my name is Jason Briscoe. I'm a pharmacist by trade. My current role with Discount Drug Mart is the Director of Pharmacy Operations. And just a little bit about Discount Drug Mart. We are a family-owned and operated, now transitioning into a employee-owned and operated pharmacy chain with 77 community pharmacies operating in the state of Ohio. Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Good afternoon. Like Jason said, glad to be here. And it's a pleasure to be working with both of you on this. My name is Dave McCormick. I'm the director of the immunization division at the Indiana Department of Health. And I've been in this role for about 11 years. The immunization division is cradled to grave immunization program. And, you know, covering that whole lifespan, we look at a lot of different access points and how we can get individuals vaccinated, what's easy for them, what makes them work. And so I'm excited to be a part of this conversation today as we talk about pharmacy. I think that's a great touch point for a lot of our population. So Jason, why don't you kick us off? Can you tell us a little bit about what your experience has been like for the past two and a half years? How much time do we have? So I characterize it as a tremendous opportunity, also a tremendous responsibility, speaking from a community pharmacy's perspective and knowing how you know, we were going to play a role throughout the span of this pandemic. And if you rewind all the way back to January of 2020, whenever we started to see more cases in our country and how that played out through the course of 2020, we had to really focus hard on what it meant to be a community pharmacy and making sure that we were taking care of the blocking and tackling and being there for our patients. And whenever there were lockdowns, so to speak, in areas of our state, never were there situations in which our stores and our pharmacies weren't open. And so in many circumstances, we were one of the very few games in town. So everything that there was associated with running community pharmacies within a pandemic is something that we had to be mindful, not only for our patients, our customers, but also for our employees to keep everybody safe, keep everybody motivated and understanding why it is they were continuing to challenge themselves and stretching themselves to be there for our public. And before it became cliche to talk about supply chain issues, I mean, we had to deal with supply chain issues and making sure if somebody was taking prescription medication, we still had access to their prescription medication. And if for whatever reason, we didn't have access to that product, working with their 
healthcare provider and making sure that they continue to find something else that could be as safe and, and as effective for them. But if then you kind of progress into late summer, early fall, we're working behind the scenes trying to figure out how the COVID vaccination would roll out and when it would roll out. But it was really a tremendous opportunity, kind of a test case for how we would be administering vaccinations within a pandemic. Because with flu season, we didn't want to take a step backward in providing that level of care for the patients to visit our community pharmacies. We positioned ourselves as an immunization destination. So it's something that we have been built for. And that was an area of focus in the fall and into the winter of 2020 is making sure everybody knew that we could take care of your flu shot and other vaccinations in a convenient, quick, and safe manner. And now we enter very early stages of 2021. And we had the good fortune, I say it as a blessing to be called upon by the state of Ohio to be one of the very first providers whenever we had a phased rollout for the COVID vaccination. There were 800 providers in the state activated, 200 of which were pharmacies, 76 of which were discount drug marts. So to say that we had to buckle our chin strap, you know, was an understatement and making sure that we had all the infrastructure associated with what that meant and having something that more people wanted than there was product going around was certainly a challenge, but we did our best to focus on product, which we had access to process, making it intuitive for not only our patients, but also for our employees so we could attain our goals. But then again, really focusing on people, always having our patients in mind, but always having our employees, you know, our team members in mind, because without them, none of this is possible. So as that rolled out through January into February, we began to be called upon in other ways specific to the COVID vaccination. And really it's because of our close relationships with public health, whether it was local health departments, local health commissioners, directors of nursing, state directors of immunization programs, etc. We developed a lot of relationships throughout this process. And what we found is if you can find a way to execute and you can find a way to make yourself available, then more opportunities will come. That really played out throughout the course of 21 and still plays out today and how, you know, really the introductions and relationships we've built over, you know, throughout the state of Ohio because of the opportunity that we've been given. And I think we've done a good job in, in executing just continues on today. Yeah, I always like to say, if you have a problem, give it to a pharmacist. Absolutely. And I don't know that that is necessarily front of mind with everybody. And even with our navigator group, I think it's taken months. And that's not to say that people on the other end of the conversation don't have the ability to understand, but I don't know that community pharmacy is always front of mind of if there is a problem, we are ready and able to help solve it. And I think if anything, this pandemic from our perspective will be a catalyst of now we can point to, hey, you remember that time that you gave us a call and you needed some help with X, Y, or Z, now they have that level of trust. Absolutely. So David, can you tell us a little bit about how the Indiana Department of Health has been managing the changing landscape of the pandemic? Sure. So I think we kind of have to get the elephant out of the room here. So State Department of Health had planned for pandemics for 10 years since H1N1. And I, like many others, were just confident that if there was another pandemic, we could handle it, no problem. And I think it was very obvious early on that this was going to be a huge community problem and effort and response. 
And so the last two years, you know, we reached out to pharmacy as well as our other healthcare partners to really embrace public health and how we can improve the health of the citizens of our state and our nation as a whole, actually. I think, although we're talking about vaccination, I think we have to take a step back. So in the early days of the pandemic, it was also testing. And, you know, we developed some amazing partnerships with our pharmacies, both independent pharmacies and big box pharmacies to stand up testing sites. I mean, I worked with a large chain store and we used their parking lot. In a two-week period, we had 42 testing sites in their parking lot. It was really learning about the draw of people to a pharmacy. Kind of like Jason mentioned, whether we were in the middle of a pandemic or not, people still had the need for medicine. They still had the need to buy certain things. You know, a lot of the big box pharmacies are also associated with maybe a grocery store or some other supplies that they had to get. So it was a huge draw. And when people weren't traveling a whole lot, you tended to look to see where they were. Then jump forward into the vaccination phase of the COVID response, another great partner. And, you know, we all know that some of the rollout for vaccine went directly to pharmacy. But there were a lot of other pharmacy partners that didn't get a direct allocation from the federal government that then received vaccine from State Department of Health. And we were able to work with our both independent pharmacies that maybe had special niche populations. You know, I like to think about Northeast Indiana, where there's a high Amish population. We were able to work with independent pharmacies in that area that had this wonderful relationship with a population that we've not ever really been able to get in and talk to. And we're able to give, you know, more COVID vaccine than I ever thought possible. We also realized that pharmacy could do the VFC program. If pharmacy could manage a COVID vaccine rollout and meet all the specifications that, you know, CDC was putting out for one of the most important vaccines that we've had in the last 25 years, we can definitely make things work for our VFC program. And I think that's really started to have a lot of conversations. Many of the pharmacies that I've talked to throughout the state, they're like, let us get through COVID. And now that we're through COVID, and I say that kind of with air quotes, but you know, now that that sense of urgency, maybe if you will, with COVID is over, we can start focusing on other things. And I think you know, in conversations with pharmacies, they realized that it wasn't quite as hard as what they thought as well. Now there's still some barriers and we'll talk about that here a little bit later and how we can overcome that. But this was an opportunity not only to protect the health of individuals, but to maybe expand what both the immunization program thought was possible and the pharmacy community thought was possible. I think we certainly learned it took all of us. It needed to take Mm -hmm. all of us to cover as much ground as there needed to be covered. And there were still probably some improvements that we all could make. And I never had the sense that we were encroaching on anybody's territory. And that's not the perspective that we're coming at this from as community pharmacy and wanting to expand our scope. We're not here to replace primary care. We're not here to replace nurses. We're here to work alongside you as an extension of the care that you can provide in a very accessible, flexible, and scalable way. There's enough work to go around, especially If you really can go back to January, February, March of 2021, and my goodness, I mean, there was a high demand for that product. And it was a little bit easier to operationalize that when you knew you had known demand to stand up a clinic or to have a mass vaccination event, et cetera. But what's cool about community pharmacy and working with public health is 
we're kind of built for all seasons in that Mm -hmm. if there is this high known demand, we can stand alongside you and help support and provide bandwidth to any vaccination events that you're having. And we had the opportunity to do that alongside public health. But now that maybe demand has started to wane and you don't necessarily want to allocate resources for a clinic in which you don't know how many people are going to show up, well, guess what? Community pharmacy all day, every day, walk-ins welcome. We're built for it. Stop on by. And I think that's been eye-opening in both directions about the capabilities of what we can do. And just like a little story that we had where in the very early stages, we were not part of the federal retail pharmacy program, and we're still not to this day, as Dave alluded to, but you know, we wanted to make sure we we're going to play a role. So anybody that would listen, you know, we talked about us being a high performing, you know, low maintenance provider willing to take our show on the road, et cetera. So in the early stages, health departments would reach out and say, hey, can you help us with EpiPens? Well, we would donate them. So we made some gestures in a way that, hey, we want to be part of the solution here. We sent pharmacists to their events whenever it was still phase 1A. But fast forward to whenever our number was called, there were situations where we did school vaccination events where we did 3,500 school educators in the course of a 10-hour day. And guess what? You're not supposed to waste a single dose. So who did we work with to make sure we had a standby list? It was our local health department. And oh, by the way, they contacted the County Board of Developmental Disabilities and the Area Agency on Aging to have a meaningful group of individuals that were on the standby list. And that's just not a unique situation. It was that type of collaboration Mm -hmm. that we've seen throughout and I hope will continue to move forward. Not that we daydream about new challenges that we have to face, but if they come, you know, I think we can leverage these relationships. Jason, I love that statement about we're not trying to encroach on someone else's property or someone else's territory. Being an immunization program manager, I have the luxury of seeing immunization rates across the state. And I love it when a healthcare provider says we cannot let pharmacy into the immunization community or into the VFC program because we need these kids in our office. And then we go and run their rates and their vaccination rates are, you know, 47%. There is so much work that needs to be done in bringing up immunization rates, not just because of the pandemic, but, you know, to complement those rates that have decreased because of the pandemic, that there's so much work to do. I go back to seasonal influenza. Indiana in 2019, we increased our seasonal flu order to make sure that we had enough seasonal flu to reach half of the VFC kids. And that may sound alarming. You're like, my gosh, why wouldn't you want everyone to have a vaccine? And I definitely did want everyone to have a vaccine. But in years past, it had been about 30% of our VFC population. By looking at other community partners, specifically pharmacy, I mean, what a great touch point to be able to try to increase those immunization rates. And that's been how I've sold it to independent pharmacies and some of our other pharmacy partners is you guys are open in the evening. You're open on the weekends. Access is not that issue that we have with some of our other providers, but there's plenty of work to go around. If we get our immunization coverage rates, you know, to 85, 90%, then I think we have a different conversation. But when we are you know, in the 60s, 70s, maybe even low 80s for immunization coverage rates, there's not any room to talk about, you know, these are my patients or these are your patients. It's that we have patients that need to be vaccinated and we need to find anybody that can help us 
to get these individuals fully protected against vaccine-preventable disease. And especially considering that sometimes, especially in small and rural areas, the closest healthcare provider is a pharmacist. They're an hour drive from a physician or a hospital, but their local pharmacy is right down the road. Absolutely. Both what you guys said, and it's one thing to be open, available, accessible, et cetera, but you never know the mindset of a human being when it strikes them that they're ready for their flu shot. You don't want to miss an opportunity. And that's the way it is with the COVID vaccination, the way it has been where access prioritizes vaccine waste. That wasn't the name of the game in the very beginning, but if some Somebody wants to be vaccinated, you don't want them to miss that opportunity. I know as a stubborn male who doesn't always plan real well, I know I need to get my flu shot every year, but do I get it as soon as I should? I don't just because it's behavioral. So when I'm there, God forbid somebody tell me, no, you have to come back another day. And we don't want those missed opportunities. Oh, absolutely. That's how I got my second COVID-19 booster. I was at the pharmacy and I was like, oh, right. I need to get a booster. And went and got it right away. I didn't have to make an appointment. It was super convenient. And I think that's how a lot of people think. That's so funny you say that, Jason, because one time a year I eat at Long John Silver's. And that's only because (laughs) I have to drag my wife after church on a Sunday afternoon to get her flu shot and promise that we will eat at Long John Silver's. And so if that's what I have to do to get her a flu shot, if I was only dependent on a private provider to get that flu shot, I'd never get her vaccinated. And she's a school teacher. I always say, you're the frontline worker. I always tell her, you know, you're married to the state immunization director. It really doesn't look good if you get the flu and you're not vaccinated. So transitioning a little bit, we've talked about other immunization opportunities and the Vaccine for Children's program. Dave, can you tell us how your experiences in successfully leveraging the VFC program to enroll pharmacies to administer vaccines went? And can you share with us some of your best practices, maybe some of those things that could be applied nationally, and then just your commentary on what are the opportunities for improvement that could be applied nationally as well? Prior to COVID, we started talking about bringing pharmacy into the VFC program. And we talked a little bit about rural areas. And in Indiana, we have quite a few rural areas. I mean, we have some really highly populated areas, but we have a lot of farm ground. And I really saw that as a barrier, that we didn't have good touch points. In fact, one of our rural areas, or rural counties, we only have one BFC provider, and it's the local health department. There are no healthcare providers in that county, but there is a Kroger with a pharmacy and there's a Walmart with a pharmacy. So, you know, bringing pharmacy on board, you know, triples our bench strength in that county. The way I approached it was wanting to see what the barrier was. I mean, every time I would talk to someone, usually the big box stores about being a VFC provider, it was like, no, no, it's too rigid. Can't do that. Or there was this myth out there that people had gotten in trouble in the past and owed the VFC program money. And so we just started with some candid conversations. What's your fear about the VFC program? And what I found was that there was a lot of misconceptions out there And there were a lot of what ifs instead of so what's. If you look at the VFC program, unfortunately, the VFC program has turned very regulatory. I mean, there is a prescribed way you have to do things and, you know, you have to do them that way. But there are different ways to do it. And so we started talking about, you know, how do we both find a beneficial end in this process? You know, the big one was storage units. A lot of people thought that you had to have a totally separate 
storage unit for VFC vaccine. And the requirement is that you just have to have a separate storage area. So it could be a different shelf on a refrigerator or in a freezer. It doesn't have to be a whole nother unit. And then it was also us understanding the makeup of pharmacy, especially a retail pharmacy, that counter space is precious. They're usually not very big areas. So to have them think that they have to have a four-foot walk-in freezer, it just isn't a doable solution. So, you know, it's, it's talking about doing the counter storage. What are you using for temperature monitoring? Well, how do we make that meet the requirement that the VFC program has? There is a common goal to get people vaccinated. The goal is not to find discrepancies in what a pharmacy is doing. So it's removing that. It's like, we're going to work together as a team. We're not going to come in here and say, well, you're doing this wrong. We're going to put you on the front page of the paper that you're not a good provider. We don't do that with any provider. You know, our goal is to get our providers in compliance and vaccinating on a regular basis. And we work hard to make sure that that happens. Having some of those conversations, you know, hearing what their concerns were, coming back with solutions, I think really changed the landscape because one, it wasn't here's the list of things you have to do. When you can do them, you let me know. It was, here's what we need to do. What are your current practices? And how do we work together to make sure they fit within the framework of what the VFC program is? We talked about buying new storage units that were larger than what they had so that the pharmacy could store both their private purchase and their VFC vaccine in there. We talked about giving them data loggers if that was the barrier. One of the biggest barriers was a central fill area. I think Jason mentioned that earlier. You know, that was a concept I had no idea of, and that currently is not allowed in the VFC program. So it's how do we make that model, which they use for every other medication and vaccine, work for the VFC program? And how do we carve out something different? There's been a lot of back and forth. There have been some pharmacies that have said, we just can't change our business model to do this. And I'm hoping that those pharmacies, now that COVID is over, we can have those discussions again. You know, there's a lot of opportunity out there. I've found that independent pharmacies really have the most flexibility in doing the changes that are needed for the VFC program. And it might just be a small tweak, but it's still a change. They don't have to go through corporate leadership or they don't have to standardize it across 150 stores. It's just, you know, we're going to move everything to this shelf and be good with it. I feel like those would be very simple changes for the most part. It sounds like you did a lot of myth busting. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot of myth busting, but the concept, it was really interesting that the concepts that were out there were concepts that I had no idea that pharmacy thought was best practice. And so it was hearing what they thought they had to do and then coming back and I shared the ops guide and said, Here's what the federal government says we have to do. How do we work together on this? It's not anything secretive or, you know, it's not that we're trying to catch someone doing something bad. It's let's all get on the same page and see how we can work together to protect kids and really the whole lifespan, not just kids. Dave is a real leader in this area. It's refreshing not to say that we haven't had conversations in Ohio and their approach wouldn't be the same. I don't know. We need to continue to engage in those types of conversations, but to hear Dave's mindset and let's find a way to work together, not necessarily focus on, you know, why we shouldn't or why we can't. Just the example of the shelf. Um, that's something I hadn't heard before that that would count as a separate storage area. And I think 
based on what we've done over the last couple of years in the way that the COVID vaccine contracts that we would all have to agree to were written, tracking every dose, reporting every dose, having temperature monitoring, et cetera. I don't think there's been a time where community pharmacies and infrastructure, I mean, now is the time based on the infrastructure in place because of what we all had to do to prepare for and be a part of the COVID vaccination rollout. So I'm glad that you mentioned infrastructure and some of the changes that you needed to make to meet this public health need. Working at a local community pharmacy, there are a completely different set of challenges and opportunities, not only at the beginning, but as the needs of the community evolved. What were the best practices that you learned from these experiences and opportunities for improvement? There wasn't a large amount of time from when we learned we were going to be activated as a phase 1B provider on January 19th of 2021. We might have learned in the very back end of December, might even be in the first week of January. And we had hoped that we were going to be a part. We weren't sure when would be a part and to what level, but being one of the few providers within the state, and now everybody having an understanding that this is one of the places that you could go, we literally had to buy a new server to have a unique domain associated with our website that would host our registration and scheduling utility. Our phone system crashed on a regular basis. So they had to inject bandwidth into that process. So there were some things very early on and Kudos to everybody across our organization, especially our IT team on those two fronts to get us up and running in a way that was very customer patient facing friendly and also very intuitive and taking some of the burden off of our in-store folks and having to manually schedule somebody. It all needed to be very automated and very automatic. One thing that we did maybe differently than other providers is that rather than posting a list of available appointments at midnight every day and somebody logging in and hoping to snatch one real quick, we essentially allowed everybody to register no matter if they weren't currently part of the current eligibility group. So even though we might have been only able to vaccinate patients 80 years of age or older, if somebody were 35 years of age and someday wanted access to getting a COVID vaccine, they could register up front. And we would communicate with everybody on a regular basis that says, you know, essentially when the moon and stars align and your eligibility group comes along and we have available appointments, we'll shoot you a note in the manner that you want to be notified by for you to be able to pick the store you want to go to on the day that you want to go to at the time that you want to go to. So by having this pool of people to then shoot notifications to as we had visibility to available appointments was created a ton of operational efficiency. And that was possible because of the large known demand. But I don't think we missed too many opportunities because we didn't have somebody trying to log on to a site to hope and grab appointment. That that was a lesson learned very early on. And it's still to this day is paying dividends because that same registration and, and scheduling utility has logic that goes ahead and sends notifications when somebody is due for their second dose, if they're immunocompromised, an additional dose, but otherwise their first booster, second booster, et cetera. The other thing, and not to say that we were perfect as an organization, but I do think that we had a strong culture. I think that anytime we had an opportunity to take care of our people, we do. We didn't wait for there to be this great time of need to all of a sudden treat people well now that we really need them to 
stretch themselves and not only provide COVID vaccinations while they're working shifts, but then consider taking their show on the road to these vaccination events that we had, et cetera. So I think you always have to invest in your people, no matter the time, no matter when that may be. Even if the leverage is with an employer in a certain circumstance, you better continue to treat your employees well. And striking that right balance is something that we had to work real hard on because we want to do more for our patients, for our communities. We want to be part of the solution, but we could never lose sight of the fact that our pharmacists, our techs, our interns, our store managers, our cashiers, our stock boys, they were the ones inside the store making the magic happen with our patients. And while it would be tempting to do this many more per day or per week or per month, et cetera, we had to strike the right balance in making sure we were putting our pharmacists and our technicians in really good positions to succeed because it's been a marathon and you know they've hung in there tremendously and we want to make sure that they can continue to do their day job and being excellent community pharmacists as well. I'm sure that helped manage burnout as well because we know that burnout, especially in the community pharmacy, has been an epidemic in itself. It really has. I mean, I think we haven't seen a migration of our pharmacists to other community pharmacy, you know, competitor pharmacies. We have seen some pharmacists decide that they're going to go and find a different practice setting. It's understandable because I think even before the pandemic, our profession has started to shift and it needs to for us to be relevant on a go forward. It can't just be about putting pills inside of a bottle, albeit that is extremely important. We have to do that accurately. Our patients want that done in a timely manner. But really, that's the introduction to what the value and relevance of community pharmacy can be. And again, the pandemic, not that it was much positive about it, but could be a catalyst as a real world example. So in closing, I would just love to hear what you think about each other's roles in the pandemic. We've kind of been touching on this a little bit and how to utilize partnerships between public health departments and community pharmacies to best meet the needs of the patient and the public. Dave, why don't you kick us off and then Jason, you'll send us off. Yeah, thanks for that, Vicki. As I mentioned earlier, the pandemic did a lot of things, but one, it was really highlighted the opportunity that we have to work with pharmacy. And at one point, I believe over 40% of the COVID vaccines that were being administered in Indiana were being done through a pharmacy. And I go back to the fact that if pharmacy can be so successful in delivering one of the most important vaccines in the last 25 years, they can hit it out of the park with the FC program vaccines. I think we've also broken down a lot of the communication gaps. I know we didn't talk with pharmacy on a regular basis before the pandemic, but there were many weeks that we had a weekly call, if not, you know, every other week with our pharmacy partners about changes that were coming with COVID vaccines. And so we've developed some really strong partnerships. One of the things that I'm so impressed with was we worked with a big box store when we were doing some testing and we literally were running out of supplies. And so I called one of our contacts and said, I need some coolers to transport samples back to the lab. And I said, I'll buy them. It's not that I, you know, we have the money. I just can't find the resources. And within two days, they had delivered 300 coolers. And they were just the styrofoam coolers, you know, but that was all we needed. And so those were communications that we just didn't have before. And I'm committed. And I hope on the pharmacy side, there's that commitment as well to keep up these conversations. And if it takes us five years to get all pharmacies in the VFC program, then it takes us five years. But this conversation is so much closer than what it was two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. 
And I think the only place that it can go is just become stronger from here. I agree with Dave. I do feel these conversations will continue because I know there's an appetite on our side to continue to do more and remain relevant. We have to find patient care opportunities and hopefully ones that can generate revenue. I don't think we, you know, sometimes we're shy about talking about that, but if we're going to be on your corner, in your neighborhood, in your community, we have to make good decisions on where we focus our time and our energy. There's a lot of challenges with pharmacy reimbursement, putting pills inside of a bottle. So the last thing we can do is take a step backward and asking our pharmacists to do X, Y, and Z if there isn't meaningful reimbursement. But I think vaccinations is an area where that's not as big of a challenge. And with VFC, I think it is the next logical step on a path for pharmacists doing more in that space. You know, I think we've touched a little bit about the current state of mind of community pharmacy and community pharmacists. They certainly want to do more, but you know, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a really fast-paced COVID vaccination rollout, maybe that wasn't the perfect time. But as Dave mentioned, we're probably getting closer to a time where we could square it with our people and say, hey, guess what's coming next? But that's not something that we just want to shove down any pharmacist's throat because when you're dealing with younger kids, I mean, that's going to be more attention intensive and more time intensive. So we want to put our folks, our employees, but also our patients in a good position for us to do that. But all the respect in the world for the immunization program managers and the health commissioners and the directors of nursing that we've met along the way. And I'm really confident that these relationships will lead into other opportunities where we can work together. Well, that's all the time we have today. Dave and Jason, thank you so much for joining us in this episode and teaching us a little bit more about some of our navigators are doing and providing pharmacists with the most up-to-date lessons learned and resources. Be sure to subscribe as we'll be hearing more from this series from the Navigators at ASHP Official. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.